When wild roses are in bloom, Doris and her mountain home. Mama, Switzerland is lovely in the spring, said Doris one bright morning in April as she opened the door and inhaled the pure mountain air. I knew you would like it, dear. And although this month has tears as well as smiles, it is welcome, replied her mother. The winter was a thing of the past. Snow which had covered the ground for most of the time had melted. Fresh, bright, green grass and other herbage was appearing in valleys and on hillsides. The gray clouds that rested above the peak of Monte Pisco were dispersed by the beams of the sun and nature was rejoicing in its resurrection. No one rejoiced more in the passing away of winter than did Doris. Her young heart thrilled at the song of birds, the blooming of flowers, and the tinkling of mountain rivulets. She rejoiced, too, that she could look up with the reverent look to, of a loving child to the Father who created all this beauty. She felt that she was accepted of him, was one of his beloved children, and after the sermon the following day she was to acknowledge her allegiance to him before the world. It will not be long until I can set my plants out in the ground, Mama. When we see them in bloom it will remind us of our terrace in the old home. Mother and daughter were happily busy until late in the afternoon and were sewing by the window which looked out upon the river when they saw an old man coming up the path. It is Melchor, said Dorothy, a glad light in her eyes. Run, Doris, and invite him in. Doris was quick to obey and stretched her hand out in welcome to her mother's old friend. The granddaughter of the good Daniel Durant, he said with a smile, and had... Eyes, brilliant dark eyes and his and Dorothy's kind ways. I knew I would be welcome. You are indeed, said Dorothy, coming forward and clasping his hand. Come in, Melchor. Come in. You are always welcome. Then you knew me, Dorothy, said he, stepping in and taking the seat she offered. That pleases me well. I thought I had faded from your memory. And this dear young girl also welcomed the old man kindly continued he, glancing at her. "'My mother's friends are mine. I have often heard her speak of you,' replied Doris, brightly, scarcely able to keep her eyes from the wreath of choice violets he held in his hand. "'Yonder but little changed. I should have known you anywhere, Melkor. Your happy Christian life keeps you in peace, which shows in your cheerful countenance.' I see that you are yet a lover of one of God's good gifts, nodding to the wreath of valance in his hand. Yes, I kept these over winter and have brought them to your daughter. I would have come before now to tell you how glad I am to see you back in your old home, but it is a long walk from Scent. I heard your daughter was intending to unite with our church tomorrow, so waited until today that I might bring the valance. Will you accept of them, dear, from your grandfather's and your mother's old friend? And he reached them to her. Indeed, I will, and thank you, said Doris eagerly. They are lovely, and she went out for a vase of water in which to keep them fresh. It was kind and thoughtful in you, Melchor, to remember my daughter at this time, so important in her young life. The flowers in themselves are the sweetest of gifts. No one but an experienced gardener had, and one who loves his calling could bring them to such perfection. The great 
Master Gardener is the one who brings them to perfection. I am only one of his instruments, and I thank him every day of my life that I am a gardener. It is a beautiful calling. It has been a healthful one to you, Melkor. It astonishes me that you have changed so little in the eighteen years since I saw you. Yes, every spring I am young again with my plants, for I am so happy in the new life about me. All the green things that were hidden in the earth's bosom springing out of cold and darkness into light and beauty, and I thank God that it keeps the, the risen Redeemer ever before my eyes and mind. The germ of a new life is hidden away in the apparently dead seed, but I know that it will rise again. Do you talk to your plants as you used to do, Melkor? Yes, smiled the old man who could help holding converse with them. When I set them in the earth, I say, Now, children, you must thrive and grow and do honor to your gardener, that the master may say that you are in good hands. And in the autumn, when I cover them from the cold, I say, Stay there now, children, in the loving bosom of Mother Earth, until God the great gardener bids you come forth. Then your flowers are not only company for you, but they are food for thought, suggested Dorothy. Yes, all the year my plants encourage sacred thoughts. They tell me that I too must soon lie down in the bosom of dear Mother Earth, and I say to them that the master gardener will see that the germ of a new life which is in this old body will rise again, and I rejoice that I am in good hands. Doris had placed the ballast in water and sat listening with eager attention to the conversation. You must have a cup of coffee with us after your long walk, said Dorothy. You and Doris can get acquainted while I am preparing it, and she laid aside her sewing and went out. You are tomorrow intending to commence a life of service to the Lord. Doris said, Melkor, are you rejoicing that you have been privileged to receive such instruction as our good pastor has given you? Yes, I am glad over all that I have learned, replied Doris. You are right. Knowledge is a treasure. Will you do more than feast yourself upon that knowledge? Will you make it of benefit to those less favored? Will you stay in the sunlight? I don't think I quite understand you, said Doris. Which is better, my child, for a plant to stay in a cold, dark cellar, knowing that outside the sun is shining and causing all plant life to grow and bloom? or to go out in the sunlight where the warm rays will cause new life to enter all the branches which lead to the heart, thus causing it to thrive and grow and be of use to the master. I think the last is the best, replied Doris, though not quite sure of the application. I also. Now think it out for yourself what I mean, Doris. I see you are a little puzzled. I think you mean that I should live a cheerful Christian life in the sunlight of God's promises, that I must not make my religious life gloomy and repelling to others, but strive to make the following of the Savior so attractive and joyous that it will do work for the Master by bringing others to Him. You are right, said Melkor. Who should be cheerful if not a Christian? I do not think I could have answered your question if I had not heard Papa and Mama speak so often of cheerful Christians. Papa said we dishonored our dear Lord by appearing to think his service a burden. We should be his faithful soldiers, willing to obey his commands with joy and gladness. Truly we should, and there is another way in which we may live as plants in a dark, cold cellar. We may not be mindful to seek religious influences such as prayer, Bible reading 
and the society of our fellow Christians, thus attaining no growth for ourselves, nor helping others by our example to seek the sunlight. The coffee was served, and the three sat down to the simple meal, with the pleasure which is always taken in the society of congenial friends. A blessing was asked, and the brown bread, sweet butter, stewed pears, and cheese were all that any one of the three craved, and for which they gave grateful thanks. "'Did you and Doris become acquainted?' asked Dorothy, as she passed a second cup of coffee to Melkor. "'Enough to know that we are to be good friends,' replied he, smiling to Doris, who sat opposite and who returned the smile. As soon as the meal was finished, Melkor set out upon his long walk to scent. I like Melkor better than all my relations put together, excepting grandmother was a comment of Doris when they were again alone. Dorothy was somewhat startled at hearing this very candid opinion, and thought it best to put Doris on her guard in case she might be inclined to make the same comparison in the presence of someone who might consider it her bounded duty to acquaint the relatives of it. Melkor is an educated man and a reader, said she. His occupation takes him among cultured people, and more than all, he is an active Christian, searching ever for chances to do work for his master. Our relations, on the other hand, have led narrow. Restricted lives have been what one might call clannish, not mingling with others who could give them new ideas and discuss with them what is going on in the land. They do not care for reading, and are satisfied with the chit-chat and gossip that rules in their little world. "'Grandmother does seem different,' remarked Doris reflectively. "'Yes, for the few advantages she has had, she is a remarkable woman. "'In her early days, she had but little means and much care, "'but gave her sons the best education possible in this secluded hamlet, "'where they have lived. "'It seems to me that your uncles were brighter and more companionable "'in their earlier years than now. "'Their wives have not been of help in influencing them into broader and more public spirited channels. Yes, dear grandmother is all right, but I cannot admire my aunts. They seem anxious to depreciate you and make you appear in no account in comparison with themselves. That is in a great measure my own fault, dear. I am not resolute in holding my own with them. I have but little self-confidence and too easily influenced by the opinions of others. I never was self-sustaining, but always inclined to leave upon, lean upon someone stronger than myself. No words can tell how I missed your father, who was such a support and counselor. And now that he is gone, I find myself as the years pass on, leaning more and more upon you. I really do not mind the disagreeable ways of my aunts, for they certainly are very kind to us. And I hope that you will learn to like them, too. I will try, Mama, but I wish they would treat you more respectfully. The whole day had been clear and beautiful, but before sunset dark clouds arose and were hurried before the high wind. The sun was obscured, and for a few minutes the earth was deluged by a storm of rain and hail. I do hope that Melkor has reached home, said Dorothy anxiously. Should be too soon. Sorry if in doing us a kindness he should get wet and take cold. He could stop at some house on the way, Mama. Anyone would take an old man in and out of the rain. Yes, and would be entertaining an angel, and perhaps not unawares, for Melkor is one who always keeps his lamp trimmed and burning, that it may give light to all who are in the house. 
The storm was quickly over. The sun shone again brilliantly for a few minutes, then descended behind Mount Fisco, but the air remained scented with the odors of budding trees and plants refreshed by the shower. The next day promised to be clear outwardly and inwardly, one of the happiest Doris had known in her pleasant life. Only the touch of a vanished hand was needed to make it the happiest. She felt it to be a blessed privilege to be numbered among the followers of the Savior, and Dorothy was no less happy. I hope her dear Papa knows it, and I am sure he knows it, was her thought during the service. It was his training and example which, with God's blessing, made our daughter the Christian she is. I am sure he is rejoicing in heaven, as we are upon earth. Nicholas, too, was in a cheerful mood over the communion and admission of Doris into the visible church, but from a very different reason. He was glad that the preparatory instruction was over and Doris free to give some of her time and companionship to him. Jubilant over this thought, he set out for Shoals and the cottage by the river the next morning, filled with the importance of a proposition to Dorothy and her daughter. He found Marie there before him, having brought a letter with which was addressed to herself, but more nearly concerned Dorothy. "'Take a seat, Cousin Nicholas,' said Doris, who admitted him. "'Aunt Marie has just brought us a letter from a gentleman, a professor in a college in Berlin, who is a guest at the sanitarium during my vacation and wishes to lodge in our two spare rooms.' "'What does he want to, of two rooms?' inquired Nicholas." He can't sleep in but one at a time, unless he changes about in the night. He needs more than a place simply to snore in, as you do, Nicholas, quoth Maria sharply. The professor is a gentleman and scholar and stays in his room reading and writing most of the day, so which is a fresh one to sleep in, as any simpleton should know. Why can't he stay with his family in vacation instead of bothering here, commented Nicholas sullenly. He has no family except two motherless little boys who are with their mother's relatives. Oh, I know who he is, ejaculated Nicholas. He is Professor Straw. Why didn't you say so at first? It didn't strike me that it was absolutely necessary to inform you, seeing that you are not the one to whom he has applied for rooms, replied Marie in a sarcastic tone. That doesn't keep me from... Knowing him, rejoiced Nicholas. Marie deigned to waste no more words upon him. She turned to Dorothy. There is nothing to hinder you from letting Dr. Straw ha have the rooms, she said. You don't need them with no one here but you and Doris. Sure, we can spare them well, and as you and Uncle Jacob are well acquainted with him, you know that he is a person that I could feel satisfied to take into our home. To be sure, if he is good enough for us, he is good enough for you. We have had plenty of room for him and have three boys. He pays well and has no trouble to anybody. But Aunt Marie, he wrote to you, thinking you were still in this house. He does not know that there are new people here whom he might not like. We must tell him this. It would not be right to keep him in ignorance of it. What difference is that to him whether you or I run the house? The rooms are here, and that is what he is asking for. All there is to do is to keep them in order. He goes to the sanitarium every morning at ten, and stays two hours, and you have all that time to fix his rooms, and slow as you are, I think you ought to manage to get them in order in that time. 
He goes to the hotel and shoals for his meals, so you have no bother about his board. He goes quietly in and out and accepts a courteous greeting from him if you chance to meet on the stairs or in the hall. You will hear no speech of him. And he was eye, and he has eyes like gimlets which bore through you and come out of the back, interloped Nicholas, who had revived from the last thrust given him by Marie, and now laughed boisterously at his own wit. Nicholas sometimes hits the mark, commented Marie. Yes, the doctor has the most piercing eyes I have ever seen. What does Grandmother Durant say to me giving him the two rooms? questioned Dorothy. She takes she says if you care to take anyone into your family, there is no one who would suit you better than Dr. Strong. And you, Doris, what do you say? asked her mother anxiously. I say yes, mother. He will be company for us in very little trouble. This reply decided Dorothy, calling forth a sneering smile from Marie, although the opinion of Doris coincided exactly with her own. Well, I suppose that settles it, commented she briskly, so I will go home. Are you going with me, Nicholas, or are you intending to be a fixture here? Whichever pleases me best, Cousin Marie. I think to be a fixture here most agreeable, and he settled himself back in his chair with his hands deep in his pockets. What have you in, in mind, Nicholas? asked Marie with alert curiosity. Half the things in mind, Cousin Marie, one is not to go home with you, and the other is not to leave this spot until Cousin Dorothy tells me what day she and Doris will come to artists to pay Uncle a visit that I may drive over for them. We can walk there some pleasant day, Nicholas. It is not worthwhile for you to trouble to drive here for us, said Dorothy. People who cannot ride must walk, but this is not the case with you, he replied, jingling the loose coin in his pocket with the air of a very wealthy person indeed. So let us hear no more of walking when there are spans of fat horses in the stall suffering for exercise. You can settle that matter among yourselves. I'm out of it, said Marie, opening the door preparatory to departing. Out one thing I w but one thing I would advised Dorothy, and that is to let him come for you, for one can see that he is a worrying for a chance to show off his fine horses. Uncle thinks you should have said something about coming before this, remarked Nicholas as soon as the door closed behind Marie. He says he thinks you have been slow about paying him this attention. It is natural to suppose that he should be the one to make the first call, seeing that we are the strangers and he an old resident, suggested Doris. You forget, cousin, that he is an old man and is lame from being wounded when he was a soldier. He always harps upon that wound when he doesn't want to go to places. But he is always wondering what you and Doris look like, and I have described you until I am tired, so now I want him to see you and judge for himself. But would it not be better to wait a little longer, cousin Nicholas asked. Doris, Mama has often told me how beautiful the country is between Shules and Arties, and I would like to see it at its best, as I am sure would Mama. Yes, dear, and next month the wild flowers will be in bloom. The mountains will be green, and the meadows and fields beautiful, assented Dorothy. We will go then, and I am to come for you with my best span of horses, asked Nicholas eagerly. Yes, if you will insist upon being so kind. We thank Uncle heartily for the invitation and you for being willing to come for us. But you must set a day for me to come, or I will not move off this chair if it takes until this time tomorrow to make up your minds. Dorothy said nothing. She looked to Doris to reply. Mama has often spoken of the beauty of the wild roses that run over the ruins of the old castle. 
of Ardis, said she. When they are in bloom, come for us and we will go. Yes, echoed Dorothy, with a glad remembrance of the wild roses. Come then, Nicholas, and we will go. And Nicholas arose and went away smiling in supreme satisfaction. Thank you for listening to another episode of Acre Salt Story Classic.